Welcome to another episode of Culture Score. I'm your host, Ben. And I'm Marcus. So, Culture Score is a podcast at the intersection of Black culture and popular culture. Um, if you've been listening to us, you know what we're about. We cover film, TV, and music. Today, or this month, we celebrate Women's History Month. And just because we have a dedicated month does not mean you stop appreciating women for their very important role in society every single blessed day. Last month was Black History Month. Don't stop celebrating that. Women's History Month, don't stop celebrating that. Because we're about inclusion. We're about equity. Um, and we want this to be a theme of how we see the world, right? So today we're covering USA versus Billie Holiday, Choose to Challenge, which is the theme of Women's History Month. And coincidentally, we have a strong female lead. As is customary, we give a shout out to the studios that brought us the movie. So Hulu, Disney, um, the director, Lee Daniels, the writer, Susan Laurie Parks, and the leads, Andrew Day and Trevante Rhodes. For a synopsis, I'm going to pass it over to Marcus. Marcus, take it away. This is a movie about probably one of the most revered singers in the history of music. Um, Billie Holiday has an amazing voice. This is the story about um, her upbringing, her rise to fame, the struggles that she deals with, um, the attack that she is consistently facing by the U.S. government. And we're going to delve into it in her most famous hit, Strange Fruit. Um, I'm just going to dive into it, Ben. One of the things um, I really appreciated about this film, um, and I really like, because I think a lot of times when you have a movie where there's a singer, a lot of times you want to you know, pay reverence to the person who is the actual artist, so they use uh, voiceover, and you just use the original singer and the person lip syncs. I am so glad that they did not do that for this movie. I'm so glad they did not do this. Um, very much like they did uh, Lady Sing the Blues, I think in 72 with Diana Ross. I'm so glad they let the artist sing the song. I just think it adds something to it, um, to the performance. Because you can just tell the difference when a performer is singing than when they're lip syncing. So I think that was one of the things that I really appreciated about this film. And Audra Day has such an amazing voice. Why wouldn't you let her um, use it? So I want to just jump in. And one of the main things I want to jump into is like the likes and the dislikes of this film. And that is the like. That is one of my first likes. I just really appreciate it. For this to be Audra Day's first acting experience, I'm sitting here asking myself during this film, you know, I was, you know you're such an amazing singer that I'm like, did you miss your calling? <laughs> should, you, should you have been an actor? So to have all this talent in this one person, man, it's just, yeah. she is the focal point of the film. She is, for everything that I liked about this film, it all pertains to her. She commands the camera. She, com she commands your attention. And I don't know, Ben, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it just felt like she's been doing this for a much longer time than this has been her first film. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, she just completely nailed it. Um, she brought out, you know, from, I mean, she just brought out everything that she could have brought out from the role, right? The way they wrote it, at least. You know, I think she was amazing. Um, 
I thought her presence was amazing. Um, her ability to convey all these different emotions and just, I mean, like you said, I mean, to think that this is her first um, movie that she's doing, um, it sure makes me think I could also do that job. And <laughs> we done. I'm glad it did that for you because it made me realize I have no acting ability because I could. I hey, could you not know do what? It. She didn't do it before, right? She didn't do it before, so I'm not gonna knock myself because she smashed <laughs> it, you know. But so to me, I think it, it, I'll just speak about my likes, Mark, because I know you can go about. Um, if if you do, you have other likes for the movie? Because I had a couple oh, yeah, other do, things. That, no, no, okay, go, go for ahead. it, man. We, we, no, no, no. Feel free. We don't have to take turns. You jump in. I'll interject okay. as you go. Go ahead. No. So in addition to her, um, her performance and um, Trevante Rhodes, who also did a very good job, I think, even though it's a job that's kind of hard to. Um, I think in addition to just playing the role that she played, she also espoused aspects of this um, black male that. She portrayed, I'll say she, he portrayed it in a different way, right? So I, I just touched on that a little bit. But I think for me, stylistically, they did a great job with just the style in the movie and the design um, of the movie, right? All the different components that they put into it from a style standpoint, um, a design standpoint. I, I thought that was great. But outside of that, you know, just the ability to convey the fact that you know, Billie Holiday just had this brilliant mind, a tortured but a brilliant mind. You know, I thought from a light standpoint, those are some of the additional things that really um, stuck out for me um, for the movie. Did you find, so what What did you find as, uh, I, I, dislike is a strong word. What were the areas of opportunity for you? Let me use that corporate PC way of saying dislike. Opportunities. You know, I would say I, I'm a big fan of having a complete picture. Um, when you do an autobiography, I, every person on this planet has layers. There's no just good and bad. There's an in-between. And I think sometimes, and Lee Daniels is brilliant, so I don't, I don't in any way want to take anything from him, but the one thing I would have asked more of is a middle ground. Um, you get to see her on stage and she is posh and she is regal and she belongs on that stage. And then you see when she's not on the stage is she's a lot more, you know, you know, she's, there's a struggle there. Um, it's either you see her at her highest high or her lowest low. And that's all you see. And I just think sometimes there's a middle ground there. And I felt the same was true for her band, you know, um, I believe it's Tyler James Williams, uh, the, the actor who was in Everybody uh, Hates Chris. Yeah, he played he uh, Lester Young. And if my memory serves me correctly, because I, you know, I was, uh, you know, my my family was a big Billie Holiday fan, and I like to do a little research. He was really pivotal in her uh, in her career. He was kind of like an indispensable partner to her success. And I felt like he was kind of like an outlier. They just kind of made him look as if he was just somebody who was in a band who sometimes did drugs with her. So that was something that kind of perturbed me. I would have liked to have a little bit more about that. I think that even though the men in her life who were abusive and who completely used her, um, they did a good job of showing how that, that impacted her life. But one of the things that I sometimes thought is like, we got that story a new guy comes in, he does he does a wrong, and then they exit that guy. We don't see him anymore. And then there's a new guy. He comes in, do, does her wrong. He exits left. 
another guy comes in. I just would have liked for them to kind of tie that up a little bit more that shows how much that being done wrong by men, how much that really affected her. They didn't really delve deep into that. You know, it was kind of like, okay, a man did a wrong. She chose someone new. He did a wrong. But that affects you. That affects your your self-worth. That affects, you know, all that you've been through. And and I'll kind of delve into that a little bit later. And I guess if I had to say one other, I won't call it a dislike, but one one other thing that I would have maybe altered is that when you watch these kind of movies and somebody's had a troubled past, it's real easy to almost have, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like, it's almost like porn in a way. It's like, it's so much tragedy. It's like tragedy porn. Like she just had so much tragedy. And I just think sometimes it would be nice, again, to go back to that initial comment I made, is to have some layers, like some levity, um, some moments of humor, some some moments of overcoming something. It just seemed every scene came back to, okay, here comes another tragedy. And it, and I know her life was tragic. I'm not saying you got to make it Hollywood. And, and speaking of Hollywood, let me give you, you one know, more. This is probably, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, okay. let me give you one last one. And I, I know right. I went long here. All right. But this is my last one. You know, seeing this movie, I always like to, like I say, do a little research and find out what happened to the supporting people in, in her life. To find out that the FBI agent, Fletcher, the black gentleman, um, the movie made it look like they had some type of uh, affair and so forth. It kind of bothered me when I found out that that part wasn't true. And I know you got to make a movie, but I'm, I'm a, I don't know. When you're doing an autobiography, I don't know if I like for you to get that loose. No, here. no. I mean, I, I think to that, um, I read an interview where Lee Daniels said, you know, it's a biopic and, you know, they're dramatizing it for for storytelling, right? So I that part, I think it's creative freedom that Lee Daniels took or maybe um, Susan Laurie Parks, the writer. I think maybe that's just creative liberty that they took to build the story the way they did. But with that, um, I wouldn't even say, I'd actually say um, they didn't do a great job of developing the character. Right. So Billy, um, Billy Holiday, I don't think that you when you're done watching the movie, you get a sense of knowing who she is. Right. So I, I thought about that. And it, it, it to me was more like maybe this is the mind of Lee Daniels. Right. I'm thinking like, you know, the director probably has a lot of layers to himself that he's trying to allow to show in the movie. And because of that, it's making the movie really cloudy. Like you said, like it's trauma porn. I mean, they have scenes of like sex and nudity in the movie. And those scenes come across as very out of place. Like you're, you almost want to like cry and step away from it. Like the, the trauma is just a little bit too much for me. Like it's just trauma, this misery, all her flaws were out there. She's falling apart and we don't get a chance to actually visit with the ingredients of a genius, right? So we know she can sing. We don't know how she comes up with her songs. We don't know where her creativity comes from. We don't know what her story is. We know how the movie kind of shows us how she interacts with all these people, but she's she's more a part of the story than the story. And so that to me, it's I, I just didn't, I just couldn't get get with that part of her being a part of this mashed up story of different 
subliminal suggestions of different things that we can get into or not get into because really um but i just found that she wasn't enough of the story and i didn't get out um of watching the movie i'm saying getting out like i watch it in a movie theater i watch it at home people yeah i mean i i i'm gonna piggyback on what you said man and i think you said it way better than i what i was trying to allude to i think you said it better than i did because all the time we don't this is what i do yeah yeah, that's, hey, you, you know, I ain't gonna say you do it all the time, but you did it today. <laughs> you know, I feel like we we see her tragedy and we see her song, but we don't see what makes her. Like, there's a lot of illusion. Like, it's things are alluded to a lot in this film. Um, she grew up in a home and, and, and the home was basically sex workers. It alludes to maybe something happened to her, but nobody really goes there. You know, it's it alludes to like she's clearly a civil rights like you know activist, but it just kind of alludes to it. It just seems like okay, she really wants to sing this song, "Strange Fruit," and they do tell you where the song came from and why it means something to her. But I feel like it dipped its toe in the water, but it didn't go all the way there. And I would have liked no, to it didn't. have that. Yeah, it, like it, give me that. Like it didn't at all. And and you know, like I, I keep saying this thing about Bob Marley, which. If you don't know already, if you've listened to a few episodes, you're probably going to be like, dude, find another artist to like. But I watched a documentary about him. And by the time I was done, I went and listened to like a lot of his songs again, right? Because now you get to see where he's coming from. You understand precisely what prompted him to do this song or that, you know, redemption song or like, you know, the Zimbabwe song or all of these things, you kind of see how it ties into his personality and his life and his personal struggles. And you relate to him a little bit differently. And even when you stop thinking about him, the words of the song emote something else that, you know, you can connect with. I, I didn't get that by watching this at all. Yeah, I, that's what I wanted. I mean, because if you don't know better, and you don't look at it with the right eye, it just made her look like she was lived a very loose life. She was extremely high on drugs all the time, but yet she had this great voice. I would have liked to have a little bit more succinct picture that she's taking these drugs so much. Granted, a lot of artists of the time did, but this lady has so much pain. She, the way it's presented, she was probably assaulted, molested as a child living in a home uh, where her mother was a sex worker. She was only 10 years old. You know, she's been abused and just chastised and treated like crap by so many men. And in, and they, they kind of allude to it, but, and even there's a, a relationship where they kind of tease or hint that maybe she was in a lesbian relationship, which you can only imagine how that was viewed during the time. It's like, we get glimpses, you get glimmers, you get, you know, a wink, wink, nod, nod. But I think if we would have had something a little bit more concrete, you can understand why she lived the way she lived. There's a reason for it. And I think that would have been something that would have enhanced the film, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's skip. I want us to skip to something else that played a, a critical part of the movie, right? Which is really the role of the government. Like, why is the government... And we've watched a few black movies lately and you know again when we talk about this and we say at least when i think about it and i say gee you know we're getting a chance to pick what we want to watch and what we want to talk about on the podcast but we we're getting opportunities to watch really good black movies from these prominent studios and it's, it's it's a great thing but one of the things that 
it's very prominent in this movie is the role of the government and the villainous role that the government plays in the lives and uh, in the lives of black people and black stories, you know, from this time period and comparing it to today. Right. So I, I want us to talk about that because it's very it's almost a whole character in itself in the movie and it plays a central role. Like, why is that? You know, I one is the times one. That's just the truth. You kind of brought up the last few films we've we've talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks, the so last month or so. And if you look at One Night in Miami, it's the it's the government chasing Malcolm X. You know, you look at all these films that we've just looked at. It's just a consistent theme, and it's really sad. You know, even some of the films we haven't talked about that came out years ago, MLK slash FBI, and you just look at during this time frame, it was just so easy to vilify uh, Black people for no reason. I mean, this movie, the one thing this movie does exceptionally well is it just shows the level of hatred that they went after Billie Holiday with. I mean, even on her deathbed, the FBI is still going to handcuff you to a bed and they know you're, you're dying. It was every, I mean, if your issue is with a song called Strange Fruit, right? And the reason why you don't like this song or you don't want it played is because it incites a part of the community. I always look at the hypocrisy of that. You don't think that it incites the public when you lynch people, but yet you think it incites people to hear a song about people being lynched. How crazy is that? Let me say something. So allow me to like vent, right? And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to pull back. I want to pull back from this movie because this is something that's it's a larger thing that we need to talk about. I know the last time we did um, One Night in Miami, I had, you know, I, I talked about in Judas and the Black Messiah. I talked about me not being able to let go, like walking into the cosmetic section and, you know, doing like, you know, smells of all these perfumes and not cleaning up my, my palate. And so I'm not able to watch movies and just enjoy the artist, you enjoy the story. But I, I think to that, there is something here that ties into what society is today. And I think about it writ large when you think about like the, the vaccine issue in the black community, right? So this has nothing to do with the movie, but I want to step back and like cover something that's a bigger issue, right? And so there's a guy that's called Eddie Glaude and he has this, I don't know if you've seen him. He's a guy, I think he was on MSNBC, but he said something that I'm going to try to paraphrase but it's something that was so poignant that stayed with me inside, you know, but he was talking about along the lines of America's not unique in its sins, but what America, and not unique in its evils, but where America may be singularly unique is the refusal to acknowledge it and the legends and the myths that is told about the inherent goodness of America to hide and cover and conceal so that America can maintain this kind of willful ignorance that protects like America's innocence, right? That's me trying to paraphrase what he's saying. And that's kind of where he ended. But with, with it being Women's History Month, I'm going to tie it a little bit deeper here, right? And, and to me, it ties into this patriarchy of America. And, and again, we're not saying this, we're not castigating America. This is not about not loving the country or none of those things. These are factual things that I think really inhibit the ability of the society to come together, right? So, you think about America in 2001, 2001, 2021, right? You think about 
just it's very patriarchal, it's very chauvinistic. And this is 2021. And we still have a hell of a moment when a woman is doing something for the first time, right? Let, to not go too far, you can think about Kamala Harris, for example, right? And, and you, you ask the question of, at least I do, like, where are all these men who have mothers and who have sisters who have been in these positions of power, who have been at the table and not been able to ask for representation and not being able to ask for a different voice or being able to pull up, you know, the sisters, you know, or their moms, right? When it's, it's, it, it feels to me like when the issue of, of something like, you know, equality for women, whether it's voting right or anything comes up, people talk about it, but when they get to the doing part of it, the biases can't let them um, to get past it. I think one of the things that really resonates with the film is once the film is over, this woman was persecuted. Taxpayers' dollars was paid to stalk this woman all because you don't like her song. They didn't stalk her because she was uh, addicted to opioids, which that was going on all over the country. They went after her because they didn't want her playing this song. And Millions of dollars was spent of taxpayers' money doing the same thing to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, hurt like so many people. And the thing that's so sad about it all, like the saddest thing to me of it all, is you didn't want this song to be played about her seeing a lynching. But here we stand, and I'm doing what you did, kind of bringing oh it to my modern God. day things. <laughs> I here know where you're are going with in this. 2021, and we still haven't passed anti-lynching laws. Now, let me, let me be clear. Just sit I've on that this for a little previous... bit, Marcus. Talk about that no, no, for a no, 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 bit. No, I, I can't wait to jump into this because it really bothers me. And this, this, is, this is very personal to me. I have said in a previous podcast that I, I attended Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. It's a historically black college and university, one that I am exceptionally proud of. I left there and then I, had, I went to and I got a master's degree at Virginia Tech. So in order to go from Hampton to Blacksburg, Virginia, you basically got to drive through towns called Lynchburg. I don't understand. <laughs> and this is this has just been going on a tangent here. How in how we even still have towns that's okay with being called Lynchburg. That's one. That's one. And there's trees that are still in these towns in the middle of town where black people were lynched sometimes for no reason whatsoever. But to sit here and to crucify this woman to assault this woman, to belittle this woman, to use taxpayers' money to stalk this woman over a song about lynching, which she saw, and it affected her deeply, and to still be in this day and age, and it still ain't no laws passed. Let me tell you, man, like, like I mean, it, it, it I, that's just, crazy. It kills me that this was actually introduced into Congress, and it actually went through, but they didn't sign it into law. But to tie that in, I, the, the back end of what I wanted to say was this cavalier attitude of the country, right? And so the country is made up of citizens. So let's all own a piece of this blame because if we speak loudly enough, but the Canadian prime minister like Justin Trudeau, in the time that he's been in power, he's apologized for brown face, like he's apologized for a lot of racist issues. He's apologized to Native Canadians. And I watched this from a leader of a country that comes out and says, Canada, we screwed up, right? We've messed up for Native 
um, Canadians. We've had these racial issues around brownface. We've had all these issues that we need to own up to. That gives me pause. Thinking of an American president that can stand and do the same, right? When Obama attempted to even talk about certain things, they said he was apologizing too much. But to tie this back to the movie and why this is this kind of came up came up for me when I was watching the movie, to tie this in is that when I'm watching the government go after this woman to suppress her ability or her desire to tell the truth and saying, instead of you coming out and saying, this is, you know, this is a stain on us. This is a stain on our history that we need to get past. You throw everything that the government has to suppress these voices. And it's the exact same thing today. I mean, all the societal challenges, well, all is broad, but a lot of the societal and cultural challenges that we have is because the spine of the country refuses to bend to righteousness. The spine of the country refuses to fess up and say, hey, these things that are in our history are not good. We need to teach our kids about this. We need to talk about this because collectively we need to move past it. And if we don't get past it, then the FBI and the police and the judicial system and the, the banks and all of these things, right? Because this goes across systems. That's the systematic issues that people talk about. And we can tie this into like just whatever you want to tie it into. But but you know what, Venus, it's no different. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want, let me let you finish. No, no, no. I say, I, I say I look at this particular instance of folks. And so ends up um, Kennedy gives the guy a, a, an award, like a medal for the work that he did. By And one of the things was him going after this lady that's an addict. Like, really? But uh, th that's kind of where I was going with it. I'll, you can take it from there. Which is kind of sad that Anslinger, which is the, the FBI guy, he's the same guy that went after Martin Luther King, which let's be honest, I'm sure after the JFK gave him that, he didn't live long because the same people who were trying to take down um, Billie Holiday and Martin Luther King is still ran by J. Edgar Hoover. And it's the same person who wanted to take down JFK. Assuming, you know, that's the assumption, right? Presumably. And, and, and here's the thing, and I'm going to take it out of the United States and just say this is just the world that we live in. I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but I'm sure the whole world has been talking about it. I saw today online, 50 million people watched it. It's not so different than what's happened with Meghan Markle in the UK. It's not a, just a US thing. Not it at really all. isn't. It's not, not that at different. All. Like, look, look at, I, I sat here and I listened to her and her, her talk um, with Oprah, and she was like, when you become a part of royal family, your passport is taken from you. Your phone is taken from you. You're a hostage, right? And you have a chance in history to say, because everybody in England is, doesn't look one way. You have black people. You have brown people. You got everything there. You could have took Meghan Markle and said, this is a sign of the times because a royal family represents all of us, not just England, Ireland, all the areas that they, they run. You had a chance to welcome this person who's now a member of your family. Instead, you ostracized. And let me go as far as to say something, and I know it's an opinion, but that's what this show is about. Princess Diana died, I don't know how many years ago. Let's say, what was it, maybe 25, 30 years ago? And you haven't learned anything different. You haven't learned anything different. The same thing that took this amazing woman, you're now doing it to her son's wife, who on top of that, is also American, so you know that's an issue. 
And let's just that's just and let and let's just say on top of that, she's a mixed race person, and that mixed race is also black. It's no different than what we saw the U.S. government do to Billie Holiday. Now I know people may say that's extreme. That's not the same, is it? <laughs> is it? Yeah, and and so and so to me, to me, it's really weaving, you know, the fabric of where some of these things reside. Right? It may not be exactly the same. But the cloth is woven in a way that allows these things to be covered underneath them, right? So I think you bring up a very good point that this is some of these issues are bigger than the U.S. But to me, I, I hold the U.S. in such high, I don't want to, let, let's regard it's the word, but also responsibility. Because some of the work that the U.S. has been able to do outside of the U.S. to fight for equality and fight for justice it just puts a blemish on it for me, right? Because you think about, you know, Hitler and Mussolini and, you know, you name it, right? And then you start thinking of, I, I don't know why we'll get, you know what? I shouldn't go here because this is going to no, no, be no. a I whole... Mean, I'm, I'm a... <laughs> No, no, no. I'm, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to roll down this here. We're going to forget about the movie. So maybe we get back. But it's just no, no, to I me... Think, but it's, it's important to see because the whole point of this show is what did the movie mean to you? What did you take away from the movie? And all you're saying is the movie, as we've said, you've used this term a lot over the last few weeks. It's really hard to watch these movies and not have trauma. And I think it's really important for people to realize because I think one thing that I can say, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not going to speak for all black people. One of the things that hurts is when you ask to be heard and people say you're playing a race card. This is not a game. You don't... You don't want to play this game. This is not something you want to play. When you look at these films, you realize it is either not that long ago and it's your parents' generation or it's your grandmother's generation and you're like, that law still hasn't been passed. The lynchings are still not against the law. So you can't tell people to move on when you've done nothing different. And this is not a black versus white issue. This is a right versus wrong issue. And I think when you watch this, bigger than that. To me, it's it's right versus wrong, but it's something of national identity. It's something of a moral compass, right? It's it's your set of sail. If if the country refuses to go back and acknowledge this blemishes in its history and this um, rot and and just what it's done to its people, right? The, The 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 trauma that's built in its people. You are bound to visit and revisit these things. And, you know, fortunately, it doesn't feel as long ago as it felt not too long ago, right? Because if you had given it maybe six, seven years ago, some of these conversations wouldn't have been, you know, as as salient because it would have been the old kind of stuff that exists but nobody knew about. And then we had a stretch of four years where it became very prevalent and everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. All these things were still laying here, right? So I, I think it gave it, it gave us an opportunity to come back and visit with these things and acknowledge, you know, that these things have always been there. Social media has helped. Cameras and every phone has helped. Cameras and every car helped. But these things are still fundamentally there. To think that, if you were to kill somebody, they can't take you to court and say you lynched them because lynching is not illegal yet. Think about that. Just think about that for a second, right? In so, 2021, like, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, 
let me let me jump to something else because I'm, I'm gonna, I want to kind of make a parallel here um, or annex. The other thing that I saw from this movie because we're we're talking about crimes, we're talking about things that that happened to her that was unjust. One of the things that this movie did a really good job, and I think it's an underlying point, is that we still see even then, and I think it's something that can pertain to what's going on in the world today, is this criminalize, criminalizing the disease of addiction. You see her go to court. You see her say, oh my God, you know, you're not going to get me help. We arrest people for being on drugs. How many people are in this country because they got one strike or two strikes because of marijuana? And now marijuana is not even illegal in a lot of states. And the states that it is, is starting to change. Are these people coming out? What, you know, because when you watch this movie, I think that's like a really prevalent thing. She clearly has an addiction. And she talks several times about wanting to get help. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sorry, you want to jump in? No, I, I, I said part of that, Marcus, is the unequal treatment of different kinds of addictions, right? That That's a part of it. But I'll let you finish because I have a completely different angle that I want to share with you about how I see this, which is really something that it's not my personal opinion. It's an observation that I, I had an opportunity to have. And I was like, whoa, this is different. But finish your point. Then I'll, I'll jump into that. Well, we all know that her drug use was the vehicle that the government used to take her down. They felt like, hey, we, we won't look like the bad guy because everybody thinks drugs are, are, are bad. So we can take her down this way. And, I, and we, we understand that that's, it's a different mindset at the time. But I can't remember what actress she named in the film. Um, but she was like, hey, you know, I think it was such and such actress. And it was like a famous actress at the time. And she went to one of those clinics and got help. And when she went in there in the court, she's thinking there's some kind of plea bargain deal and she's going to get to get oh, help yeah. for her alcoholism. Yeah. And, and of course, that whole thing was a plot. And also her managers and her, her, the men in her life had already worked out this little deal to get her in there. And she's thinking she's making a plea deal. And of course, she gets a year in jail because they'll do whatever they can to deter her from singing these songs. But seeing it from this movie, it's like you watch this movie, you're like, man, she died in 1959 at 44 years old. And that's something that really resonated with me. Like, how many things that we see in this movie that happened in the 1950s are we still trying to overcome? Exact same <laughs> in things today. Same thing. 60 years later, nothing's changed. It's still an assault on, on, on criminalizing people who clearly have a disease. Secondly, it's clearly an opportunity to... Um, steamroll the black community because they always, they don't send you to no clinic. You don't go to Betty Ford to get help. That's a strike. You're going to jail. And it's just like, wow. Like, so when you look at it from those, those lenses, it's like, man, like the more things change, the more they stay the same. But I want you to jump in and make your point. Yeah. Let let me tell you, I want to tell you a story. So I I took this trip to Europe. I I went, actually drove through a hell of countries at the time, but I'm going to talk about Belgium and the Netherlands, right? So in Belgium, I went on a, a kayaking trip. So you you get a bus and you go up river. It's probably like 32 miles. And you go down, you know, it's just a, a really slow flowing river until you get into, and it's a smaller river until you get closer to the city and then it kind of opens up. But by that point, you're almost at the end. But basically what it was is that as you're kayaking down the river, 
you're going through different communities, right? You go through a nude community, you go through a community of, at the time, to me at the time, like, you know, smoking weed was like a terrible thing. Like to me, I was like, oh my God, just man, why would you do that, right? But you go through a community of folks that are sitting there with their kids and like smoking, you know, it's not cigarettes, right? You go through communities of folks that are farmers, you know, they have two, three cows, you know, they have a little house and they have a place where they store like their milk and stuff like that. So you're going through all these communities and it's really like going through different civilizations. But so in this, in this, uh, on this little caravan of kayakers, there's probably like 30 of us. Nobody is surprised from going to a nude community to let's just call it a stoner community to a farming community, to a community of young people that are partying. Everybody's just doing what they're doing. And in my head, my mind is like exploding, like, oh my God, like in the US, like you'd have helicopters and snipers on top of buildings, like trying to get you, right? And they'll be like, so that's the one thing, the first thing that occurred to me. So I left Belgium and I went over to Amsterdam. You know where I'm going with this. I went to the red light district, right? And you're walking through and everything that you consider a sin, like things that they teach you in church or that <laughs> are your morals, like they're like in open display and nobody is questioning it, right? And so I had to had, and so I got on a train and I was headed to Germany and I was, you know, in the train that she must have been like 18, 19. She was British and she was going the same direction. So we're having a chat and, you know, she's just having a whole open conversation. So at the time I lived in Minnesota and so I said, Hey, I'm from Minnesota. I'm going here. But and so she starts having the conversation and obviously she assumes that I'm over there to buy drugs. And so she starts telling me the best places to go, but Fast forward, I come back to the U.S. and I realize that we overregulate everything. Like, and so this is, I think, fast forward to today. Now, you know, they've legalized marijuana for all intents and purposes. And there's a lot of people making hella money. I'm actually on the stocks of at least two, three that, you know, are marijuana stocks and some of them are done great. The ones that have not done great have still returned a positive <laughs> percentage to me. Like none of them are struggling, right? So none of them have gone like 50% drop. Like some of them are actually like two, 300% up. But this is the lens through which we look at morality. Like how much money, and, and, and I hate making these generic statements, but so I'll go back and say the one that, I'll go back and say what it did to me was that it opened my eyes to some of the things that we regulate and we enforce that you can actually allow people to make choices about and own their choices. Like you, sh I, I don't see why, in my opinion today, I don't see why you put somebody in jail. If somebody is a 21 year old or an 18 year old that can go to war and fight for you and shoot for you, golly, like you're really going to put them in jail for smoking weed? Like, this is what it is. So I, I just find that we need to, um, and I'm tying this to the movie because I, I don't see how you bring down somebody for having an addiction. At, at its very core, you help them out. At its very core, they don't enjoy where they are, right? So they may have the occasional buzz here or there. And, you know, whatever addiction is, it is. But if you talk to people who really smoke, like I had a buddy in Minnesota who, 
he was a smoker. And every now and then, you know, we'll take his pack of cigarettes and like dip it in water. And he had a frank conversation with us one day and he said, you know, who are my friends? And he said, my friends are people who love me for who I am. And he said, if you guys love me for who I am, smoking makes me happy. So allow me to smoke because that shows me that you like me. And I'll own the responsibility of my lungs and making sure that you don't catch secondhand smoke because I love you. And I was banging on the table like, I didn't, obviously, I didn't agree. With, <laughs> I didn't agree. I didn't say, yeah, Jay, great point. You know, I didn't say none of that. But in my mind, I was like, boy, you just, <laughs> you just dropped the mic. And I walked away and I never, I never tossed the cigarettes anymore. But to me, I think that's, that's really what it is. That's kind of if addiction, my... if if addiction is a disease, think about it. If if we're gonna call addiction a disease, which most people do, then it shouldn't be criminal. Because a disease is something you cannot help. And if you cannot help something, then you should it shouldn't be criminal. It should be something that you get help for. And I think the only reason why you're seeing marijuana and things like that stop being criminalized now is because the powers that be has figured out how to make money on it just like they have alcohol and cigarettes. And I won't even go down that Pro- rabbit hole, but I want to just kind of jump back yeah. and, and kind of get back to the film and kind of end this yeah. out and just by saying the score of the film. So I usually go first. I'm going to let you go first tonight. Um, what would you score the United States versus Billie Holiday? Oh, I feel like I'm the one that's always tight on my score. <laughs> so I'm going to... No, but to me, your opinion, I think- man. No, I think to me, the question that I asked myself, um, I, I, I probably mentioned to you off, offline that it was just a difficult movie for me to watch. Like, I actually, I watched it twice, but it probably took me six, seven attempts to get through it because I had to watch it to understand it and kind of get a feel for it so we could talk about it today. So it was just difficult for me to watch. Would I watch it again? Uh, probably not. I'm not going to say too much else, but because of that, I'll give it a three. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'm really trying not to do this, but I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three and a half. And I was going to give it a three, two, um, before not, this is prior to me talking to you about Thank what your you. score Thank was. You. I need to but be it's, a but consistent Grinch. No, 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 no. I'm, the reason why I'm giving it a little bit more is because first of all, Audrey Day gets three stars by herself for me. Like there's some things I would have liked to be flushed out. She was just so amazing. And the one thing I still think that sometimes people don't pay as much attention to, the costume designs. I've, I did feel like I was in that period, and it was done so well that I felt like that was also a character for me. And I really, really appreciate it. And, and I think that's part of film. I, don't, I think those no, little nuances absolutely. sometimes get, get kind of overlooked. So that's, that's going to that's gonna give it my three and a half. I, I think it's a, um, a really good film. I think there's some things that's left to be desired. But Audrey Day is a star. And so I, to I, be able I, to say... I, 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 go, ahead. go ahead. I have a question. No, no, please, please. Finish. No, I was going to say, what would you add to it? You said it, it, it left something to be desired. If you had an ability to go back and whisper into Lee Daniels' ear or Susan Larry Parks was the writer, what would you, add, what would you say? You know, I, we see the, per, the reasoning behind her tragedy. But I would just like that flushed out a little bit more. Like, I feel like there's a couple of times things were hinted at. Like I said, uh, the lesbian relationship, um, the abuse that she dealt with, 
uh, the possible abuse she may have dealt with as a 10-year-old working, uh, living in a home that sex workers was there. Because I think, if not, it can become tragedy porn, the film. If people see why you have tragedy, if people can see like, wow, I can see how she had a downward spiral. And yet, even with all of that, and though she was on drugs, she still performed. She still was, a, to me, it's like, She's still conquering something. I just want to find out that backstory. Like I said, I think everybody has layers and there's more than just the great singer on stage and the junkie um, when she's off stage. I just would have liked to see a little bit more of that in the middle. Okay. So I'll say this real quick for me. And it's kind of, an, uh, kind of not quite in the movie, but in the movie. And it's about Lee Daniels. Because I thought, I thought he developed um, from a directorial standpoint. I thought he brought through a lot of depth in emotions. And with that, I think he'd be a great director for the Joker. I think he should de definitely get a call because I just, I just, I, I feel like his depth for this movie was a little bit too much. And that for the Joker, which is already uh, a very disturbed <laughs> character, I think he's going to smash that one out of town. So um, last words before we go. Yeah, I want to just do something we haven't done before. And I want to give a shout out, which is something I haven't done before. The person who helps uh, Ben and I make this happen every week is our man, Timothy Griggs. He helps us every week. Do all the technical. Just anything. He makes this whole thing happen. Uh, so I just want to say that Timothy Griggs, um, on behalf of Ben and I, we so appreciate all that you do and making this happen for us on a weekly basis. Uh, ben, you can take it out from here. Women's History Month, send a note to a female in your life, a she, a her. Send a note, appreciate somebody, um, let them know their impact. If you're at work, a colleague, something, it's Women's History Month. Challenge the status quo and celebrate somebody. On that note, Thanks for listening. This is Culture Score, and we're out. Until next time.